Hey, Kansas City. Welcome to episode 48 of the Made in KC podcast. Today is the 56th day since Kansas City, Missouri's stay-at-home order was announced. I'm Tyler Enders. I'm Keith Bradley. And I'm Thomas McIntyre. Today will be a headline issue where we'll catch up on some noteworthy news stories. Well, third time's a charm in the new podcasting room. Yeah, we uh, troubleshooted for about seven hours today. Got nothing else done. No, I'm just kidding. But we have been trying to figure this out. So hopefully this sounds better for you guys today. So Keith can be focused. I'm going to tell him what all that fog is that he's seeing out our window. We've had about 12 inches of rain today, it seems. And there is a manhole on that corner over there, Keith, that always pushes out a lot of steam. And with the amount of water rushing under the street right now, it's pushing out even more steam today. But it's already gone. Where did it go? comes in waves. That's what water does. <laughs> we did have quite the deluge today with the rain. Uh, not only have we reconfigured our podcast room a little bit, but it also sprung a couple leaks in the roof. So we've got water dripping around us in the midst of uh, all else that has gone on today. <laughs> well, with that in mind, uh, let's go ahead and dive in. So As of today, there are 101,000 U.S. deaths due to coronavirus. Uh, There is no doubt that the U.S. has become an epicenter and is unfortunately kind of an example of of what not to do in some respects. There was a Columbia study that came out recently that admitted that there are many faults to this type of projection. But what they did is they looked back and they said, what would have happened if we had put in more self-distancing practices or more social distancing practices earlier. And at the time, they reported that as of May 2nd, I think it was, that we could have saved 36,000 American lives. And then they also pushed it further, and they said if we had done this two weeks earlier, we could have saved 54,000 Americans, which would have been 83% of deaths at the time of this reporting. So we've been trying to understand a little bit better why America has become an epicenter. Um, you know, we don't think it's just due to better testing and better reporting, therefore, of COVID-related deaths or because the U.S. is more international. But as we've taken kind of a week since our last podcast, um, the the biggest headline, of course, is just the severity of this ongoing pandemic. Yeah, I think there's on the if we would have done things earlier note, a little bit hesitant to even say this because I, I think we know where my thoughts are in terms of us taking this seriously and being careful. But it's it's a little bit challenging to look at that statistic. And I think no matter what timeline started, social distancing, we could create some numbers like that. And so I think what, what was that first date? Two weeks earlier? Yeah. So social distancing started on a national level on March 15th. And so this study said what happened what would have happened if we had done this a week before? And at that time, there were plenty of people who were really, really sounding the alarm bells. Mm-hmm. But then again, you look at Kansas City, and we weren't locked down until after the 15th. But again, this isn't saying there should have been mandatory lockdowns or quarantines. This was just more advising the strong social distancing practices. But again, you look to your leadership to be ahead of the curve, to understand the severity of different things like this, and, and to be proactive. Yeah. No, I agree with that. That makes sense. I just think it's, uh, yeah, I feel like Kansas City did a great job of this. And like you said, we were we were even late a little bit. So I, I guess I do like to look at it more as a statistic that shows how powerful social distancing is. And going forward, if we have a second wave, the sooner we act, the better and less as a, as a finger pointing bullet point. But I understand how people are using it both ways. 
Yeah, most of what I've seen about this study is the part that I just talked about. However, the whole second part of the study was what happens as social distancing is eased and what happens if it's done sooner rather than later, um, or it talked about, you know, from here on out. And that speaks more to what you're talking about, about the importance of maintaining social distancing into the future. That 100,000 deaths is just, uh, you know, numbers are what they are, but that number just represents, I think, a number that a lot of us, um, I guess what I'm trying to say is that's a significant number for sure. And I think it caught a lot of people off guard that when we saw other countries, particularly Asian countries, get things more under control, that we thought we would do the same, that it would just kind of magically happen. And the fact that we've reached that number is yeah, very concerning, especially considering all the amount of activity that is starting to ramp back up and reopening, that we would not, uh, I don't know what I'm saying. Just no, I think, I think enough, Keith, uh, I, I was thinking it in, uh, you talk about a frog in boiling or pot, right? In terms of us just getting callous to this as news comes out on a daily basis, we're just punching the face with bad news on a usual basis. If we were to be told when we close everything down on March 16th, that hey, a hundred thousand Americans are going to die in the next two months. We we uh, we were already freaking out, but that the, my level of freak out would have skyrocketed. I mean, that number would have been how many family members am I going to lose? I mean, that's just terrifying. And so I think we hear that and we all uh, know it's horrible, but it's just crazy to think how bad things are. That that's not completely ruining my day. Just hearing that number and putting me into a funk. It's just become a little bit callous already with yeah. all these bad things. Yeah, I think there are a couple of reasons for that. One, humans are just terrible at understanding scale. Um, there's the famous quote, which I think I've said before on this podcast, that Stalin said that, you know, one death is a tragedy, a million deaths is a statistic. And it kind of feels like that right now. Um, we were talking to someone earlier today about how there are fewer cases here. And so therefore, people feel it in a less visceral, less emotional way. And I think that plays a big role. But then also it's been difficult for people to grieve as you can't organize funerals and you can't have gatherings. And so people haven't had that time. Um, and I wonder how much age plays into that as well. You know, if, if you have young people dying that are leaving um, children, you know, without their mother or father, that changes things. Um, someone said, you know, we have 100,000 dead, which means we have 100,000 families that are grieving. And of course, these families and communities are grieving and uh, perhaps, though, that the age of those who have been most affected also plays some role into the way that we as a community are responding. But then I also think that the human brain is designed to process things in a way that allows us to continue doing what we need to do. And so part of that is, as you said, being somewhat callous to this as it comes again and again and again. But anytime you really sit and dwell on it or look at the numbers of American deaths relative to other things that have happened in the U.S., whether that's terrorist attacks, whether that's wars, it is, or whether that's other causes of death, like opioids, for example, then it is just a completely depressing number. Yeah, particularly when you compress the time period that it's happened in, right? So, you know, it would be hard-pressed to get a, over 100,000 deaths in a war, and that war would be stretched out for one, two, three, four, five years. That's staggering. And then to think about the other side of where we're at, there's debate about whether or not America has actually peaked and whether or not we have, we have to come down from where we're at no matter what. And so the question is with social distancing being relaxed, states reopening, trying to trying to recover the economy essentially right now, will we have 100,000 deaths as we come down from where we're at now? 
So zooming zooming in a little bit, Keith, this morning on our uh, all-team conference call, you opened up with a little bit of a statistic about those deaths, and I think we were going to hit on that a bit today. Can you talk about that again in terms of the focus on the, the retirement home and how that relates to the American culture a little bit? Yeah, I don't. I can't exactly remember why I decided to open up our meeting with this today. I guess I wanted to, uh, as our office is still, um, our office is, is open, but most of our um, salary team is working from home or working remotely. And so what's often missed in that is just kind of casual conversation or office office banter and talking. So one of the things that we were talking about is the latest information that's come out about coronavirus. So particularly in America, um, the latest information demographically about deaths is that 43% of the deaths, so 43% of the 100,000 deaths have come from 0.67% of the population. And that 0.67% is the nursing home population, which represents about 2.17 million Americans. And so 2.17 million Americans live in nursing homes currently. However, they make up 43% of COVID-19 deaths at this time. And I shared that with the team to just to provide a little bit of context in this. I know a lot of our team is still dealing with uncertainty about coming back to work, about even uh, going outside or visiting and resuming normal activity. And while that is not necessarily good news that that's what's going on, it does provide context of of how this disease is affecting um, our country and those around us. Yeah, and that has played out very differently in different states depending upon how they have handled care in regards to long-term care facilities. So Florida has really been a confusing situation in that I thought with the aging population, um, we would have seen a much higher case rate and a much higher death rate. But looking back in hindsight, um, the people who published this research said that on March 15th or 16th, Florida went ahead and banned anyone who was COVID positive from being returned from a hospital to a nursing home. In hindsight, that seems like just complete common sense. But at the time, there were a lot of other large populous states that forced nursing homes to receive people back because they said, you know, we have to clear rooms in hospitals. We have a shortage of hospital beds and we need to get these people out of here as soon as they're stabilized so that we can get other people in here who might need to be put on ventilators or be on more constant supervision. And so unfortunately, that frantic scare, um, you know, put a lot of sick people back into areas where clearly it spread really, really rapidly. Now, this is all new information that we know that we didn't know two months ago. And so I agree that I think our tail on this is unfortunately probably another 100,000 people who are going to die at the hands of coronavirus. Hopefully, it's way less than that based upon what we're learning. But um, I do think that we know so much more now that hopefully we can act in a much smarter, more targeted way. Now, I'm looking at all these statistics very conservatively and in that not that I'm questioning the amount of deaths associated with COVID-19, but with some uncertainty. Because I remember early on, Keith, we talked about, I believe, Sweden or somebody decided to take any death that occurred in a retirement home to be related to COVID-19. I think it was Belgium. Belgium. So that they're like, everyone should be doing this because it is the right way to count at this moment in time. I think a week ago, I was driving home and heard the opposite taking place in a, I forget, I want to say Georgia-based retirement home, saying only deaths that were tested beforehand for COVID-19 and tested positive 
were being designated as COVID-19 deaths, not if they were just symptom, had the symptoms of COVID-19 and died. Uh, they had to have a positive test associated with that human in order to count it, and that they were going to do that across the board, which likely very much undercounts the amount of deaths. And so very concerning how there is lack of consistency in what's qualifying and not qualifying, and our numbers as a result could be very, very off. Yeah, I think it was Belgium. It could have been Denmark. It was one of those European countries. And what they had said is um, they were looking at all the deaths that were occurring in these demographics last year versus this year in that delta they were attributing to coronavirus. And they were saying that, yeah, our per capita rates are a lot higher because of this, but we're accounting for this the right way. And this is the way that the rest of the world should be accounting for this. I tend to agree. And with nursing home deaths, what we just read, that was based upon looking at 39 different states because 11 states aren't providing this information. And if you Google it, you'll see a lot of people who are calling to say, you have to release this information because we need to better understand where the deaths are coming from, where the cases are coming from. So states like New York, if someone was in a nursing home, got sick in a nursing home, is then taken to the hospital, dies in the hospital, they don't call that a nursing home death. So there's a good chance that the number 43% is actually low based upon the things that you were just mentioning. Exactly. So to summarize that a little bit, the figure 100,000 is super impactful. I hope it's really made people pause. I think it's an important time for us to reflect And hopefully this is over a halfway point, but I think that there's a good chance this isn't even a halfway point, at least in terms of duration, but but possibly not in terms of the number of deaths either. And then on the flip side, as we've continued to see, but we've seen a lot of it, especially in this last week, I think we are learning more and more about what practices are worthwhile, like social distancing. I've seen more and more things be written, whether it was studies or just articles expressing the things that we've been talking about, about how you're probably not going to get sick from touching the same handrail as someone else, as a handrail that someone else touched, but you're more likely to get sick for from being in the same space for a long duration of time. Uh, many of the countries that are successfully doing contact tracing are only contact tracing for people who've been within six feet of someone else for 15 minutes or more. I think in the beginning, we had this hysteria of, I can't stand in an elevator with someone where I can't walk by someone on the street. And hopefully I think people can realize ways that they can get out and about and resume some parts of their life in a way that is actually healthy and safe without that fear. But let's go ahead and switch and get to a more local level because a lot of new things have happened on the local front as well. Yeah, so locally, I'll up to speed with what Mating KC is doing. So we now have, uh, and I believe we've updated on the podcast already, but all locations are open. And besides our crossroads location, uh, based on just low traffic and not fiscally making sense for us to be open and us needing more space to do fulfillment for an increased online orders we've been experiencing. But all locations open, truncated hours, uh, slightly truncated staffing, very, very thorough and specific guidelines on cleanliness, plexiglass in front of all the checkout stations, large, large signs with protocols and how to go about being in our spaces. Face masks are encouraged but not required, and if any staff or anybody feels as if somebody in our stores shouldn't be in our stores because of coughing or something else, um, they're allowed to ask them to leave. So, so far so good. Traffic is maybe at 30% of what it was at this time last year, Uh, so not great numbers, but um, for us, anything's better than nothing compared to where it was three weeks ago. So, we are optimistic, hoping for increased traffic, but one of the biggest problems we're having is 
what event's going to be the catalyst that gets people back out and gets us back up to 100%. And I don't think it's going to be a change in laws, a change in regulation. I don't think any statistics around positive testings are going to happen quickly. And so I think we're realizing it's going to be a very, very slow crawl back to back to normal. But on that note, we did have some updates in Kansas City today about what we're allowed to do in our spaces. Uh, Keith, what, what were those? Yeah, so as cities and counties move to reopen, the first phase of opening required businesses that were once considered non-essential allowed to reopen under the 10-10-10 guidelines. So um, 10% of occupancy or 10 people and then contact tracing for anybody who spent 10 minutes or more in, in your location. That contact tracing portion was quickly dropped based on pushback that was given by local businesses and, and the general population here. Um, just today, it was announced that we would now be entering another phase effective this coming Monday, June 1st, that essentially removes all those 10-10-10 restrictions and allows businesses, non-essential or essential, to operate at 50% of their building capacity. And all businesses now um, are allowed to reopen under those guidelines. So really big jump from where we were just this week and, and board things were allowed to reopen um, on May 15th. Encouraging, I think in general, I think that should, it's not going to be the catalyst I think that we're looking for in terms of getting people out and about, but I do think that it gives businesses a lot more flexibility in how they can operate under this new normal. It certainly doesn't change a lot of things for us. We're still going to do all the things that Thomas just mentioned and we'll, we'll likely continue those things unless there's a good indication that we, we should not. Um, but it does allow us to, to see more customers in our locations and hopefully other businesses as well and gets people more out and about. Yeah, you were pretty surprised by that, right? And were you and you said in, that it's encouraging just now, but yeah. do you feel it's the right move? I was I was surprised for for two reasons. One, just because the mayor didn't consult us first, and I just feel like <laughs> <laughs> that uh, that a heads up would have been would have been nice on that. Two, I don't think I don't think we've been operating under this new normal, the ten 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 guidelines, for example, for very long at all. I feel like we just made all these changes and signs in our stores, and we've yet to really see. The implications of that. And so then just to take the numbers to go from 10% to 50% is a really big jump without having to see not necessarily positive or negative results. So I guess not seeing a huge spike in cases is positive, but the fact that there really hasn't been that sort of decrease that we've wanted, we're still seeing an increase in cases. Um, we had the biggest the biggest jump um, recently with 85 cases in the, in the metro area. And so I was just kind of surprised by that. I think we need more time in between these phases to see if they're working. Yeah, so my, my thought is potentially the, the idea is that what restrictions, because I, I, we were kind of an early opener, in my opinion, a lot of retailers and, and anybody else. And it's because those restrictions people looked at and said, well, I'm not opening because I, I can't function under those restrictions. Like it won't be worth my time. It won't be worth anything. So I think maybe they potentially the mayor was looking at what restrictions would allow people to be like, okay, under those rules, it's worth opening. So what's going to be the number I can put out there that gets the most things back open in Kansas City? And then hopefully personal habits will still follow safe guidelines and things can be open because they feel like it's worth opening, but traffic will still be light as we've seen, even even though we're open and we're allowed to be open and people are allowed to shop in our stores, we're still seeing very minimal traffic. And so I don't think that... If we were allowed to have a lot more people in our stores right now, we'd be seeing a lot more people in our stores right now. I think it's people's behavior hasn't really changed much. And so I'm hoping that that's how this plays out, that 
this allows to get more things open and gets more of a rhythm to the Kansas City economy and that individual behaviors acts in a way that's still safe, but at like an increased level because more things are open and more people are going out and there's more decisions to be made in terms of where should we get this, that, and the other thing. And they get out of their COVID-19 habits of doing things at home and more back to shopping and being customers at stores. Yeah, I do. Uh, interesting points they made because there, you're right. There wasn't this big – as soon as that those 10 to 10 guys were announced, there wasn't this big rush of other businesses open similar to ours. And that's very interesting to me, especially on the restaurant side. Um, plenty of restaurants locally owned or national chains are still closed in places that you would expect them to be open. I was surprised by even some of the big national retailers that are still closed. So take um, Apple on the plaza, Nike on the plaza. I wonder, based on this announcement today, if that played into that. So Nike, 10, 10, 10, probably not worth it, maybe. And so this is a signal to them or as a result of other other bigger companies with more clout than us saying, you know, if you want us to reopen sooner rather than later, we need, we need different guidelines. Yeah, that's interesting. I was surprised by it as well. It seems really sudden, but everything's kind of been announced in the same manner where you don't have a ton of prep time. We felt, I think, that we had to really work around the clock to get open for the 10-10-10 rules. It was just a lot to digest, a lot to prep. And so going to this next level, I agree that it's more worth the time and energy for people. But I think about the staff that we talk to on a regular basis, our plaza location, we're allowing 75% capacity of what we are legally allowed to do. And our staff has said that that's comfortable. And we asked today or yesterday if we wanted to increase that to 100% of what we're allowed to do. And they essentially said, you know what, we actually feel good with where it stands right now. Um, So to clarify that, you're saying 75% of what we're allowed to do under the current COVID-19 rules. Yep. So essentially 7.5%. 7.5%, right, which is less than 10% occupancy. And so one of our locations, Front Range, the staff said they don't want customers coming in the store yet. And so we're just taking orders at the front of the store. And it's a small location, so that makes sense. Baltimore, um, they've said that they want to allow some people to sit in there. So we've gotten pretty mixed Thoughts, but it's also based upon people's comfort level, based upon the physical nature of each of those locations. And so I think that this does, you know, if everyone operates as a good actor, then this allows people to better accommodate their specific situation. But that said, there are plenty of places that uh, I think it's unfortunate that now they can be at 50% capacity. That does seem like it might be a little too much too soon. You think about some of our locations, 50% capacity, you could be completely packed. But then again, it's it's on us and it's on the customer to make sure that it's a safe situation. But if an elderly relative of mine gets sick doing everything completely right, but just by the nature of the contagiousness of this sickness, and then they end up going to a hospital that's overrun by other people making bad decisions, that's really unfortunate. Yeah, because at 50%, that's business as usual. I mean, you could go to the plaza on a, any given, you know, nice Friday and it can feel pretty busy and any store you go into is likely not going to be at 50% capacity, maybe the Apple store. But I mean, that's that's a pretty large number. I and mean, that's, that's you know, we're talking about capacity. We're not talking about 50% of your usual traffic. We're talking about 50% of what you're legally from a city code allowed to do. Yeah. And that's that's a pretty busy store at 100% and rarely, rarely happens. I mean, another way to think about that is when is the last time you were asked to wait outside of a store right. because they're at capacity? Never. Right. Yeah. And even you take the restaurant industry, for example, which has been, I think, 
if they if they haven't cracked the you know how to do curbside with success, they're waiting to reopen more. Any restaurant in Kansas City outside maybe a few would love to have fifty percent capacity at lunchtime, for example. Right. Um, and then only a handful will ever get to full capacity at dinner time. So I do think that does allow allow a lot of business to operate in a seemingly normal way. Still doing face masks, still doing sanitation, still doing um, these extra measures, but without having to think about how do I how do I keep customers out of the store? How do I all, all that sort of stuff? I think we'll see a lot of more businesses open next week, and I think he's trying to send send a signal. Tent, tent, tent. We can operate like that for very much longer. We got to get things up and running again. Yeah, I think it's just yeah, it's like all of this. You don't know how people are going to react, and I, I feel like at least I thought maybe maybe they thought as well that once we allow people to back open, no matter what the restrictions, they're going to be so eager and chomping at the bit to get open that they're going to open, and that just wasn't the case. They're yeah, like, well, and I think. Again, the PPP loans and the unemployment situation all played into that. They're like, well, what's the advantage of me opening now? Nothing. Uh, because it tells my landlord that I'm open to making money, so maybe I could pay them rent. I don't want to do that. Send that signal. My employees don't want to come back yet. I don't want to get sick. There's so many things playing into it. And so, yeah, I, I've been surprised about the lack of things that have opened in the past two weeks since they've been allowed to open. The other side of this that I may or may not have played into the city, Kansas City or Mayor Lucas' decision is that over on the Kansas side in Johnson County, they have essentially lifted all restrictions for the county that they are now just guidelines, not re- not required restrictions to follow. And so in a state line like ours, that sends a message to both business owners and citizens, customers alike to go to one side of the state line over over the other. And so yeah. he's got to stay competitive. Yeah. So with all that said, I want to revise what I had said a few weeks ago, which was predicting, you know, what type of tail we're going to have, whether this is one, whether we're having peaks and valleys, we're going to have similar surges, um, whether we'll have a slow and bumpy tail or whether we'll have like a super surge in the fall. I don't think we're going to have that super surge still, but, you know, we had talked about how we think this tail is going to have lots of little minor flare ups at times. Um, I do think that that, well, that was based upon the idea that we were going to continue to have pretty strict social distancing practices, not only culturally, but also passed down by government. And now that that isn't happening, I think the problematic thing is that it allows for things like we saw at the Lake of the Ozarks, where legally people can operate in more dangerous ways potentially now. And you can't just trust on everyone's you know, good intentions or good nature or acting sensibly to prevent people from getting sick. So I do think that we're going to continue to see certain demographics of people um, become more cavalier. And unfortunately, well, fortunately, throughout the summer, I don't think it's going to impact us too much because I think a lot of those activities will occur outside. I think that heat and humidity will have a really big role. But I think that that cavalier attitude will carry into the fall. And I do think we're going to see a bigger surge in the fall than I would have thought a couple of weeks ago. I don't think it'll necessarily be a bigger surge than what we already experienced. Um, but if that were to happen, then that would be extremely, extremely sad as humans where we should be able to learn from our past mistakes. And if that were to happen, that would be 1918 flu all over again. And what scares me a little bit is we, we talked about the the nursing home statistic in this and even in my own head, I was like, well, I, I oversimplified and I was like, well, those are the problem areas. And if we take care of those areas, we'll be in better shape. But that's, that's only 43%. So that means the majority of this is still happening outside of the retirement homes and outside of that population. And I think it's going to be easy to extrapolate that 
you're safe if you're not in one of these quote unquote problem areas and get relaxed. And I think we could see those areas that are under the microscope right now, like nursing homes, improve their processes and have a reduction. But people that aren't in those hot spots get more relaxed because they feel like they're not part of the stats, part of the problem. And we see an increase there. And overall, that might still be a decrease, but it's an increase in certain pockets, which is in the wrong direction, no matter how the overall number is trending. And so I think I think that's what we'll see as we wind down here and it'll be flare-ups in new areas and reductions in the existing hot zones because of our habits that we're creating based on statistics thus far. And it's still been such a short period of time when you look at it in reality of this being a problem in 2020. Yeah, I've thought multiple times about how we redo the intro because we talk about Kansas City State home order, which is a really interesting metric, but it's difficult to figure out when do we want to keep track of this from because it really has only been a few months. And it's important, as you noted earlier, Keith, talking about 100,000 deaths is really different when you say 100,000 deaths over the length of the Vietnam War. you know. And so if you're talking about the span of a decade versus a few months, it really changes your perspective. But we should probably wrap it up. We have a lot of things to cover on the economics side of this, from small business stuff to personal savings to stimulus payments to unemployment to bankruptcies. So lots to cover. It's good to be back recording. If this one goes well and and gets published and edited well, then (laughs) we'll hopefully be on a more regular clip going forward. Yep, it was good recording with you guys again. I think the sun, it, uh, no, not really. It, it, the sun was trying to come out there for a second. I got excited, but it still looks cloudy, but not raining. So let's get out of here. Sounds good. Thanks, guys. Thanks. And as always, you can contact us with any thoughts, questions, or feedback at hello at madeinkc.co or on Twitter at madeinkc underscore.